Hello, and welcome to the Should I Go See It podcast, where every other Friday we take a deeper dive into the one-sentence reviews on shouldigoseeit.com. This week, we'll be discussing Oppenheimer and Barbie, also known as Barbenheimer. I'm your host, Bill George. With me, as always, AJ Rebecca and super producer Craig Stanton. Gentlemen, hello. What's up? What's going on, Bill? Not too much, AJ. How are you? Uh, no, my feelings are kind of hurt. Why is that? Because we left, we watched Oppenheimer last night, and like the credits rolled, and you looked over to me instantly, <laughs> and you were like, "You got a problem with breathing?" No, no, that's not what I said. I said, "Has anyone ever told you you're a loud breather?" Yeah, everyone who listens to the podcast, turn your fucking radio up to a hundred, and you can hear me like. <sighs> I do my best to cut it out, but there's really no stop. I got the Gandolfini with the fridge open and the prosciutto and the mozzarella breathing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm trying to, I'm trying to watch the movie. There's quiet moments, like I'm Vader over here to my right, just listen, <laughs> dude. I got a fucking deviated septum. It needs to be fixed. I'm sorry. Okay. So, what's your excuse for the phone usage then? Which Bill also roasted you. I for. got a kid. I got a kid. I got a fucking kid. Yeah, I was also upset with the, with people checking their phones. I was. I looked at it twice. Fucking Diabetes Dave looked at it twice. Once. Once. You should be mad at the guy in front yeah, of us. Yeah, the guy in the front right was on his phone the entire goddamn movie in my periphery. And the girl to my left checked it a couple times, too. It's like, if you're not interested in the movie, don't come to the movie. You know what I'm saying? Take a hike. Get out. <sighs> Eat a bug. Um, now you got me fired up. We fucking. haven't even gotten to the intros <laughs> of the news yet. Eat a bug. Um, yeah, so... Uh, we're going to talk about Barbie and Oppenheimer. Uh, the three of us went last night. We got out at around what? 11.45? 12? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm a little dragging. I'm dragging ass a little bit today, but uh, we're in it. We're going to talk about it. The biggest Hollywood doubleheader since what? Who knows? Probably what? summer of 94. Yeah, there's some records being broken, which we'll talk about for sure. But before we get into the stuff that we watched together recently, uh, since last episode, AJ, have you watched anything else? Any any follow-ups? No, I, watched, I watched two things. I watched The Flash. The Flash. Ah. DC's The Flash. I gave it a yes. Most reviews didn't. Uh, I shared why in the last episode, I believe it was. AJ, your take? It was good. Should I go see it? Yeah. I mean, there's no... The only emotional connection you're going to get to this movie is reliving moments of your childhood with Michael Keaton. Sure. Is what I kind of got out of it. Um, it sucks that Ezra Miller is just a crazy piece of shit because he did, like, you you talked about this. He was fucking phenomenal in that really movie. Really good. Phenomenal. Really good performance. Dual performance. Uh, at times, it was incredible. It was mediocre and horrible within, like, a 30-second span of time. I just don't understand that, but that's not for me to figure out. Um, biggest knock is, or was, the CGI in that was just bad. It was bad. It was, it was hit or miss, and mostly miss. There was definitely parts of it that had a artistic choice to make it a little like weird looking, which I know people were knocking it as if it was bad, and the producers were saying, no, that was on purpose. But then, which is fine, I understand the parts that they're referring to, but then the parts that are not supposed to be stylized, sometimes they were just not that great. I think, but the double work, I think, was outstanding, so I think they've used their budget in different places. Yeah, they kind of blew their load, so to speak, for uh, <laughs> that aspect of the movie. The other thing that I watched is I watched 20 seconds or 21 minutes of 
Cocaine Bear. The first 21 minutes? The first 21 minutes of Cocaine Bear. If you think that's a good movie, drop a TV on your fucking head because you're an <laughs> idiot. You didn't even get to the Cocaine Bear. There's... Oh, I don't that care. Was my- I don't care about the cocaine bear. The, the movie, was, the first 21 minutes were... It's bad. Some of the worst movies that I've ever seen in my entire life. It's not great. It's not great. I think we talked about that. Uh, there's like one or two good scenes, which uh, 21 minutes you probably didn't even get to. There's really one sequence that is like truly outstanding, and the rest of the movie is garbage. Uh, what did you... Have you watched anything? I did. I did a rewatch of David Fincher's Gone Girl. Which hadn't seen it in a few years. Just decided to throw it on because it's just one of my favorites, and holds up, holds up beautifully. It's a hell of a film, and I will say that Kim Dickens' performance as Detective Bonet, one of my favorite film characters of all time. She is so great in that movie and so entertaining. Every scene she's in, I just love her in that role. Uh, so yeah, if you haven't watch Gone Girl ever, then obviously you have to. If you have not seen it in a while, it's a good one. It's still a good one. Yeah, I think I watched it, I don't know, it was probably on like nine months ago, six months ago on HBO, and we watched it, and I was like, damn, this movie's crazy. It's so good. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, yeah. So yeah, that was that's all I've rewatched uh, recently. Okay. Uh, let's get into the news. As we talk about this episode, both Barbie and Oppenheimer opened the past weekend to extremely high demand. Together, they are setting box office records left and right. A few examples. Barbie is the largest opening for a female-directed movie and the largest domestic opening for its director, Greta Gerwig, or stars Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling. For Oppenheimer, it's the biggest opening of a biopic ever, and it's Nolan's third Best weekend ever besides only The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises. Bill, are we are we in the summer of Barbenheimer? What are we doing here? Oh, big time. I will say the Barbenheimer phenomenon, I wildly underestimated. Like, there's a lot of talk about it. They were opening the same weekend. We get it. I th- but I thought it was kind of a meme thing that was in sort of an echo chamber. Like I thought it was like an online an online thing. Yeah, I thought it was an online thing. I thought people were talking about it and memeing it more than they would actually do it and like come out and see the movie. And boy was I wrong cuz it is like unbelievable demand. Like when we saw Oppenheimer last night, Wednesday night, full house. Full. Scrapping in M&Ms sold out. I went to never seen anything uh, like it. The concession stand was like war zone. Yeah, it was like Aleppo in there. Every uh, every Barbie showing is sold out. Like the demand for these movies is just absolutely unreal. And what's fascinating about it is that this idea is a standard industry practice. It's called counter programming, where one studio is putting out a movie and another studio doesn't want to compete with that exact type of movie because they know they're going to split their audience, so they put out something wildly different to get the rest of the audience. Dark Knight, which we talked about, that opened up against Mamma Mia. Like, this is like, this has happened forever. But for some reason in this internet age, uh, people just latched on to how wildly different a film about the atomic bomb compared to Barbie. Uh, how different that is. People think it's hilarious and it became this thing. And it's, it's blown me away uh, how much it's taken off. 
Uh, did you do the true Barbenheimer or Appabari? I don't know what we're going to call Barbenheimer is the correct nomenclature? Yeah, the preferred nomenclature is Barbenheimer. Did you do the, the true doubleheader? I did not. Oh. And follow-up question? Fast follow? Yes. Do you regret not doing the doubleheader? No, not at all. Oh. I think they are so different, obviously, that I enjoyed being able to... I saw Oppenheimer first. See Oppenheimer... And there's just so much to that movie, plus it's three hours long, to be able to let that sit and simmer and reflect on it before, like, you have to, you know, Barbie is a totally different mentality. And so I liked being able to see them separately and really, like, give them their own space and their own uh, mental state. Fair. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't... There's a lot going on in the, in the, in the social media about both of these, and I... I kind of want it to go away fairly quickly. I'm kind of a little over it. I think I think we're there. I mean, we're now a, you know opening weekends past. I mean, it's still popular. Everyone's still going, but I think the the memification of it is lessening. But it, I mean, it's awesome to see people so excited to go back to movie theaters. Like the last time we I even remember anything like this is like Endgame. You know what I mean? Like that's like on that topic. I was just about to say it's it's. It, it, I agree with you that it's exciting to see people be excited to go to movie theaters. And I would even amend that further by saying for a non Marvel slash, right. not a part of an existing cinematic universe. Cause there have been big banger box office weekends. Black Panther comes to mind Endgame, things like this, sure. but like star Wars, star Wars. Absolutely. But those are all, you know, there's an in, there's an in crowd and there's like everyone else, right? There's people who know and are excited about it. And then there's like, I don't know. I, I, I personally cannot remember the last time that there was a huge box office buzz for movies that were just straight up, standalone, not a sequel, not a remake. Barbie's a little bit unique because obviously it's... A- Barbie is an IP, but not in film. Yeah, I think that's cool. I think that's something we desperately need in the, in, in the biz. I, I like it because it's two movies. Like Usually a movie comes out, Avatar, Endgame, whatever, and destroys the box office, and everyone's going to see that. But the fact, this is the first time ever that two movies come out at the same time. One made over $100 million the first weekend, and simultaneously the other made over $50 million the same weekend. Like That never happens. Usually one movie dominates. So the idea that two could dominate simultaneously and, to your point, be different. And I think there's a lot of things that go into it. I think there's the internet piece of it. Uh, of the Barbenheimer thing. But then once people saw the movie, then there's word of mouth. Plus the movies are good. And then you get trailers and, and marketing of a good movie, which looks good by default because it is good. Uh, and it's just, it's just rolling. It's crazy. Yeah. I was in line. I forget where, maybe the grocery store and someone was checking out and they're like, Oh, what are you, you know, I hope, you know, what are you doing to beat the heat? And she's like, oh, I'm going to go to a Barbie with my kids later. And the, someone was like fucking two lanes over was like, oh, I just got back from it. It was amazing. And then like another person chimed in. I was like, what the fuck is is it, is it going to be like a flash mob of like Ken's that come out and like, you know, throw pink Starbucks at people and they're going to dance in it. I don't know. I was just like, this is very overwhelming. And to Craig's point, I can't remember the la- like pre pre covid where people were like oh i'm dying to go to the movies to see this and anything and yeah. that i literally have no recollection of of something like this happening that hasn't been a, a big um whatever you call it franchise uh, yeah franchise movie yeah franchise there's movie. just there's a big and as it continues it, there's a now becomes a big fomo element as the people that do take advantage and see barbenheimer and then re, you know 
rave about it. Now everybody else starts to say, well, now I got to see it. I got to see what it's about. And it's just cascading into now midweek where they've had the best Monday ever and the best Tuesday ever and the best Wednesday ever at the box office. And like everyone's still going. It's, it's really, it's special. I mean, it's a special cultural moment. It's crazy. But yeah, we're going to, we're in our review section. We'll talk about both of them in depth. Indeed. AJ, other news, news, news adjacent item. A uh, friend of the show, Eric Schoenberger, sent me an interesting uh, Instagram post, and it said, instead of remaking great movies, they should remake bad movies that had good stories but didn't meet expectations. Oh, okay. So now they always remake Batman or remake whatever. What if Hollywood went back and found movies that didn't work but had good bones and, and made them again? Great premise, Bad execution is basically what we're going for. Right, right. If that were to happen, if that were to become the new trend, AJ, what is, do you have a short list of movies that you would like to see made again, but better? I got three. Okay, hit me. Two follow this uh, thought line, and then I have a bonus one of horrible idea, phenomenal execution. Okay, fire away. So... Uh, great premise, bad execution. I had two. I had The Purge and Hancock. Hancock's a good one. So Hancock, if you don't remember, was a Will Smith movie where he plays a superhero that is like depressed, alcoholic. He's kind of like, I don't give a fuck about anything. Kind of a scumbag. Yeah. He saves someone in PR and the person was like, oh, like I can change your image. And it's basically like the evolution of Hancock. Amazing premise on paper, especially... This was probably around the early stages of Marvel. So, like, they had a really good opportunity to break the mold and kind of do something different. And it just isn't a good movie. I mean, it's just cheesy I mean, corny. Yeah. Act one is pretty great. And then it just, it, they add a subplot with Charlize Theron and it just, it goes off the rails. Now, I think more recently, The Boys kind of fills in that gap, right? True, of like true. bad, horrible people that are superheroes that can do horrific things and it is a hit and yeah, we love it. Yeah. Um, the purge is on paper, a phenomenal aspect. Hey, every 12 hours or every what? 10 years or every year for 12 hours. Yeah. Everything. Every no crime is lawless. legal. Yeah. Lawless. And it's like, fuck, like, that's a crazy idea. But like the premise of like focusing on one rich family in suburbia and like how they interacted with the purge. And then they had to create all these sequels that filled in the gaps. Like I feel like there's a lot there that they could have done right the first time around. Um, much better than the way they did it. And I'll tell you what I would do if I was a writer and I was rebooting the purge. Ready for this? Three acts. Act one, the purge. I mean, it's just like yeah, sure, people chaos. getting thrown out of buildings, TVs, just horses getting punched, like everything. And you're like, holy shit. The second act is like the the decision where it goes back in time and kind of fills in the gap on how we got to the idea of the purge. And then act three is like the aftermath of like what happens for the first two, 12, 24 hours once daylight breaks and what happens to everyone afterwards. I would see that movie. I would see that movie. Greg? Sounds great. Although the studios cool. wouldn't have the self-control to do that three parts, one movie. That would obviously be six <laughs> films. Yes. Yeah, it would be broken up into, you know, Saw 35. Okay. 
Bad idea on paper, phenomenal right, execution. I'm going to beat a dead horse. One of my favorite movies of all time. Tim Allen's <laughs> The oh Santa God. Claus. You know, you think that objectively you a don't like... A marketing executive puts forth a, uh, a contractual agreement that started at the beginning of time when he accidentally kills Santa Claus when he falls off the roof and becomes him in perpetuity for forever. Bang biscuit. You're, you're what the fuck? Not a great idea. I mean, you go into a pitch meeting and I heard that, I'd be like, what the fuck are you right. talking about? And then they're like, no, 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 no. It's going to be a Disney movie. We're going to have Bernard the Elf, a little annoying kid, Miracle of Christmas, Tim Allen gets fat. And they're like, sold, sold in the room. Okay. And it works like gangbusters. That's, That's what I'm saying. That's a good one. Hey, good pulls, AJ. Okay. Good preparation by you. I, I kind of did my homework this week, guys. I'm like kind of prepared. Peek behind the curtain for listeners of this podcast. AJ, not the, always the most prepared guy on the show, <laughs> but uh, hey, good job today. Thank you. Oh, I love it. Uh, the first one that sprung to mind immediately was Elvis. Uh, like, I think the story of Elvis, I think uh, Butler as Elvis, like you had all the makings there and the movie just didn't work. So that would, that's, that content is ripe for a remake. Another one. Uh, the Zack Snyder Army of the Dead Netflix movie, the idea of taking advantage of the zombie apocalypse and using that as cover to sneak into Vegas and steal like from the vaults like in the, in the casinos. That is a holy shit brilliant concept for a fun movie, and it just fell flat. Uh, super disappointing. Another one that I love the concept was Alexander Payne's downsizing movie with Matt Damon. That was another one. First act, like, setup was great. I love the concept. And then the movie just didn't work after that. Like, you just need to rewrite that script. Um, and the last one I'll throw out there is uh, Glass. Like, I thought Unbreakable, one of my favorite movies, Split, and then the twist at the end of Split, letting you know this actually was occurring in the Unbreakable universe. Brilliant. And then you have a third movie to bring them together, which on the face of it sounds like a great idea, but Glass was one of Shyamalan's worst. Uh, so I would redo that for sure. Those are good. Uh, as you were talking, another one came to mind. Remember that movie Game Night? Yeah. With, uh, yeah. With ba- Bateman. Cool premise. And, uh, the first actor, yeah. the first 45 minutes is like, this is really good. And then it kind of just like fell off. Similar. Um, uh, yeah. I like the beginning of that. And then uh, Jesse Plemons is hilarious in that, especially in the beginning. And then I think I ended up giving it a no because it just lost its way for sure. All right, good Bill. Pick. Eric, thank ta- you for the question. Thank you, Eric. Uh, it's time to take a deep dive into Barbenheimer. Bill, uh, which one? Start with Oppenheimer. Okay. Uh, according to imdb.com, Oppenheimer is the story of American scientist J. Robert Oppenheimer and his role in the development of the atomic bomb. Bill, should I go see it? Yes, easily. I've seen it twice. 100%. But first, I need to tell you guys the story of my first viewing, which I haven't told you yet. When I went to see it, uh, opening night, 5 p.m. was the earliest possible screening I could, that there was. I walk in the theater, and it's just a black screen. There's no Maria Menounos. There's no AMC ads. There's no nothing. It's just a black screen. And I'm like, okay, a little weird, but like sometimes that happens. It's opening night. They're figuring it out. Five fifth, so the movie's supposed to start at 5. 5.15, Still nothing, just a black screen. 
And now I'm getting nervous because this has happened to me before. I've had two movies fully canceled due to projector issues, and I've had a movie delayed an hour before. What theater were you at? This was at the AMC in Assembly, the Dolby Theater. Dolby Digital. Yes. 525, still nothing. And now I'm like, now I know this could be bad. So I'm frantically looking for other showings. I'm looking at the AMC app, and everything is sold out, obviously. It's opening day. I buy a 930 ticket at the theater in Framingham just as like insurance because like I need to see Oppenheimer opening day. 535. The shirt is on at this point. In Nolan We Trust. The In Nolan We Trust t-shirt is on. I am locked in. The glass has been broken. He's pulled it out of the safe. <laughs> 535. Again, movies listed for five. 535. Still black screen. Nothing. They finally come out and say, hey, there's an issue, but we're, we're working on the projector. We should have it up in about 10 minutes. If not, we'll let you know. And this is where, you know, I'm not a religious man, but I prayed. I actually began to pray. I said, God, I don't ask you for a lot. Like, it's Bill George from the Should I Go See a Podcast. I'm just checking in. Don't ask for a lot. Really need to see this movie right now. <laughs> At 545... 545. Movies listen for five. We've been sitting there. It's a three-hour movie, but now I've spent 45 minutes staring at a black screen. They come out at 545 and they say, uh, we're sorry, we're not going to get to work. It's canceled. You can come out front and get a voucher. Oh. Everybody starts to file out. I'm sitting in stunned silence. Just, I didn't know what to do. So I just sat there for two minutes. And then, bang, the lights go out and the Universal logo comes on and the movie starts. Did they shuttle it? And now. Did they shuttle everyone back in? <laughs> what? Now it's a mad scramble. The first two minutes is chaos because everyone's rushing back into the theater trying to find their seats. Holy shit. It started 45 minutes late, but it played. No trailers, no Nicole Kidman, just right into the Universal wow. globe spin. <laughs> It was that's wild. Unbelievable. Is it the first time that's ever happened to you? What, that his prayer was immediately answered by his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Well, that or the fact that like <laughs> everyone left and then came back. That's got to be a first. I've never had people like leave and come back. The, so, Holy shit. Yes, yes. I've had, like I said, I've had two movies where I've showed up and they've said, sorry, no dice, the projection's not going to work, and I had to go home, and that was annoying. And then I think the first time I saw the menu... They said, we may get it to work. We might not get it to work. It's up to you if you want to stick around. And I waited that out for almost an hour. And then they finally did get it to play. But half the audience did leave. But this was the first time they literally said, it's canceled. Sorry, no dice. And then, thank God, I stayed in my seat. Boom. Started playing. That's wild. Unreal. Wild. So anyway, back to the movie itself. It's phenomenal. We should say up front that it is much more a biography than it is a procedural. So obviously the trailer and the commercials and the advertising are going to focus on the atomic bomb. That's obviously his biggest contribution. Uh, And so it makes it almost like a lot of people are probably going to go in thinking it's about the bomb, uh, but it's not. It is a nonlinear telling of the life of J. Robert Oppenheimer. And I'm glad I read the book for that reason because they cover so much ground in the three hours and a lot of it has to do with his life before and after the bomb. Um, so there is a lot of that. So that's just kind of setting expectations for the audience who has not seen it yet. Yeah. The w- but yeah. No, 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 no. I was going to say the way, jumping right into it, the way that they talk about the bomb itself and the impact of the bomb is done in very small, intimate, somewhat aggressive scenes that are sprinkled throughout the movie. So it's not like, Hey, bomb, 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 bomb. Like, let's talk about the bomb. It's like, it's kind of piecemealed throughout 
so it's not like an overwhelmingly um it doesn't take over most of the movie to your point, which I appreciated. Yeah, I think I think it it jumps around a lot and maybe more than some people will like. Like I think it might jump around more for some people's tastes, but the way Nolan is still able to tell a complete story that you can follow in a compelling way. Uh, I think it's astounding. It's reminiscent almost of the social network where you have like multiple trials and you're jumping around. Uh, it felt like that, but you could still follow it as it goes. Uh, but you know what the social network so it, did not do? They didn't change it back and forth from color and black and white. That's true. There is an element of that in this. Some black and white, some color. Craig um, did not like that. Well, it bugged me a time. It bu- I mean, I really enjoyed watching the movie uh, I was glued for most of three hours. One quibble I had was the black and white thing, but it took like one sentence worth of explanation from you, Bill, for me to understand it. My my biggest problem was I thought I understood what they were doing, but then it turned out that I was wrong. I thought it was a past. I mean, it all <laughs> takes place in the past, obviously, but like I thought it was like a time jump thing. Not in like a corny, uh-huh. like old-timey footage way, but just like as a visual cue to the w- viewer to determine what time period we were dealing with and then those time periods like crossed and i was like wait a minute am i wrong about this <laughs> oh no <laughs> uh, yeah yeah no, i no, think no, no 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 so that was just one one little quibble that i had but it wasn't a big deal yeah as far as that that editing that we're talking about it's a it's a crucial part of the movie because i think it's what sets it apart from other biopics which in my review i mentioned the fact that it is maybe the the most astounding biography film I've ever seen. You know, we've talked about this before. Years ago, when we were growing up, every biography movie was like a cradle to grave. Here was this person's life summed up in two hours. And then in the last decade or so, especially after Lincoln, filmmakers have started to more grasp onto, like, let's let's harness, you know, let's look at the most important thing in the person's life, and then we can tell some offshoots of that, but, like, focus on one thing that tells the person's story. And this movie, the fact that it's able to focus on multiple incidents, but use different editing, makeup, script, but still tell a complete and profound story of this person's life, that's a complicated person, complicated character, uh, I think it could change the way biopics are made going forward. Like, I, and L- Nolan has that type of influence, as we've seen after things like The Dark Knight and Inception. So like, I would not be surprised if this sort of sets a new standard for the way they make biopics. Yeah, I agree to, to most of that. I know you you really love this film. I think it's a good film. It's not going to change your life. There is a very rare occasion where both you and I see a new movie and we can talk about it together. And a lot of people have texted me this morning and were like, hey, you went with Bill? What's your thought? What's your thought? What do you think? And I basically have been saying this in a nutshell, right? Is that... Killian Murphy and Robert Downey Jr. and their characters are true 10 out of 10 performances. Okay. You can't disagree with that one. Killian Murphy, performance of a lifetime. Like yeah. he will not, no one, you can't get another role like that. Like it's so complex, so involved. And he, you don't see him as an actor playing a role. You're just watching Oppenheimer. Like he just, embodies embodies the the role incredible the flip side is that it is long it is heavy-handed at times and it is a bit of 
it's a bit convoluted stylistically is kind of what my summation of yeah. this Yeah, I, I mean, I can that. see that argument, which is what I was saying. I can see how it, it might be a little crowded for some people if they're looking for a more straightforward biopic or a bomb or a bomb movie. That being that, yeah, or yeah, of like, how did we end World War Two? It's you're you're gonna you're gonna get that, but you, that's not what this is all about. Um, there are aspects of this film that I was like, holy shit! Like Christopher Nolan can literally do anything, and then there was other times that I was like, are we just trying to fit Christopher Nolan into a new thing that isn't really ready for him? Okay, that's kind of how I feel. I will I will personally. say there are some sequences that take advantage of his style more than others, to your point. And I think if we're talking about highlights of the movie, the Los Alamos portions are by far the most entertaining. And there is a you know middle section that really focuses heavily on that. And the urgency and the excitement to that sequence with you know Nolan using every trick he has to make that come alive, even knowing what, what's going to happen and how it's going to work out, it's still pulse pounding, like just heart racing type stuff. And I absolutely love that. One of the cool things that I got out of this was, um, you know, in my mind, when I thought of Los Alamos and the construction of uh, the A-bomb, I was like, oh, like underground bunkers, like concrete everywhere. Like these dudes were in a town in the middle of New Mexico. (laughs) Yep. Like, the most rudimentary building and structures you've ever seen in your entire life. And they are responsible for building the deadliest weapon known to mankind. And that was it's crazy. Probably the craziest portion for me in terms of realization of like, Oh my God, like if anything comes out of it is, is the fact that Christopher Nolan was able to build this world and tell this story in a way that, allows you to actually see probably what was the closest representation of what that looked like, what, 80 years ago, 70 years ago? Yeah, I think this is, of his movies, I I think this is one that will stand the test of time more than even most, just because of the fact that it is set in that time frame. There is no CG that will age poorly. It will, this will be the definitive movie about this time, this topic, for years. Uh, and I think that's part of why it is getting as much praise as it is. Can I ask you one question, Bill? You're kind of a Nolan defender, so I'm going to ask you this pretty direct. We talk about a lot the idea that um, some directors and some movies uh, have to dumb down whatever they're telling for their audience, right? But you have always been in the camp that a good director in a good movie uh, doesn't have to dumb down for their audience. They're allowed to tell a story in a way that just keeps people engaged, but doesn't really have to slow down to like bring them up to speed. That correct? Uh, I prefer when directors assume a certain level of intelligence of their audience. Yes, I'm not an idiot. I mean, I'm a pretty dumb person, but like sometimes in his movies, whether it's this or Tenet or Interstellar or even Memento, where it's like, oh, you don't understand nuclear physics, you fucking idiot. Like, I can't believe like you didn't understand like how we cracked, you know, cracked an electron into a neutron and then hydrogen nucleosi and whatever. And I'm like, I don't think this is like real common knowledge. And it like felt as though sometimes where it was like, we're, I'm not slowing down for you, bud. Like you need to, you need to keep up with the rest of the pack because, like, I, it just, I'm not, 
I'm not doing it for you. I like that, though. I like having to keep up. I like being challenged by movies. Greg? Um, now that you pointed out, there is a period of, I guess, act one, we'll call it, where the war, the known science of the time that they're living in is sort of changing underneath their feet. Right. And so our characters are like, so-and-so split the atom, and they're like, what the fuck? <laughs> and then Hitler invades Poland, and they're like, what the fuck? <laughs> and then there's, so there's, there's the track of World War II basically developing. There's the track of the world of science that in some ways they themselves are moving forward, and in other ways their colleagues around the world are moving forward. So there's a lot of, like, shit happening <laughs> many of m- most of which the science stuff i mean you may have heard the phrase split the atom before but like i i certainly did not like know the like yeah exactly what that means vis-a-vis atom bombs and what that means that was even pre-bomb like that whole stuff happens right before like the as a result of that happening all of the scientists mind go to Oh, this could be used as a weapon, and away we go. So yeah, I mean, I I see what you're saying, AJ. Like, there's a little bit of like, you better you know pay attention here. There's going to be a quiz at the end. Yeah, but I, but I also I also like that they don't like yeah come in with a little bit of take time doing weird explainers or have some uh, exposition sort of you know I don't know it's I like the, I, I it didn't bug me. They could, they could have easily fallen into the trap of a student comes in and they're. And it's like, what do you know about quantum mechanics? Or someone's someone's writing for like the local paper in Berkeley. They're like, could you explain this for the paper? And Oppenheimer's like, well, you see. And then, you know, that's how the dummies in the audience get the info like spoon fed. I'd rather just be like, yeah, it was a thing. I can accept it. I don't need to know what it really means. Yeah, I think I think that's the thing about Nolan is he is very deliberate in his exposition. And sometimes it goes well and sometimes it doesn't. If you look at... Inception, you could argue there's too much exposition, but it very much sets up a third act that can run by itself, and the, you know, the audience never needs to stop and ask any questions. But there is a lot up front. When you rewatch Inception, you listen for it. A lot of exposition up front, and sometimes I would argue too much. Then you look at Tenet, and there's zero exposition besides literally just like <laughs> one of the characters says you don't have to understand it <laughs> on the slip ship. <laughs> Paul Starburn, we got a wind coming in. You know how time travel works. Yeah. So Tennant, I think he did the opposite where he would like assume too much. I think Oppenheimer splits the difference. I think it does a pretty good job. Then again, I read the book, so I don't know. It's Yeah, okay. Fuck you. You're coming in with like like doctorate level understanding of how the atom was split. I'm coming from your side though, AJ. I, I it didn't okay. it didn't bug me. Uh the thing that my my biggest so I really enjoyed the movie. I had a great time watching it. I recommend people go see it. Um, I think that's important to say because sometimes we get focused on criticisms. The movie was sick. Yeah. The only thing that sort of bugged me for a second, I sort of had to like slap myself to get back into it as Act Three became a thing because Act Two ends very dramatically, and you look at your watch and you're like, I'm pretty sure Bill said this was a three hour movie, and it's only been two hours. What the fuck are we gonna do for the next you know sixty minutes? Because you have to just remind yourself, like Bill said up front, is that it is a biopic, right? Like, it is the story of this person, not the story of this event through the eyes of this person. Because um, it feels very Nolan thrill ridey for the first two acts. 
obviously you're getting to know Oppenheimer, the man, but you also got to know Leo's character in Inception. You know what I mean? Like, so there is some like personal touches there that when the end of act two happens and you'll know it when you see it, you'll be like, Oh, that's a, that's the movie. Like that's all folks, you know, but there's so much more to his life, his character, him, him as a man. Right. And for a second, I, I found myself not caring about the aftermath of all that. Cause I was like, what the fuck do I care? That was just awesome. And now we're good. Right. But then I had to sort of reel myself back in and say, oh, this is like a biopic. I actually, I, I should care. I, I have to care because the man's life did not end at like the basically first quarter of his career. You know what I mean? So even though that was the, the biggest event of his life, certainly the biggest event in fucking history, <laughs> <Yeah>. military <laughs> history anyways, um, you know, the, the the story keeps going. And that, But that's where the work, that's where the work kicks in. That's where some of, Killian's best work kicks in because now you're seeing the man, the the complexities of him and the aftermath and his struggles and and that's where the message of the movie comes in. There's a, there's a lot to it. Um, but yeah, but it helps knowing that going in and expecting that versus going in expecting... A Nolan thrill ride, which is, which is basically what you get for the first two acts. You get it. Yeah, you yeah. get it. But it's it's... It's a fantastic film. I mean, obviously, everyone has heard a lot about it in the Barbenheimer discussion. Um, but I think everyone owes, owes it to themselves to see it. On to Barbie. According to IMDb.com, Barbie suffers a crisis that leads her to question her world and her existence. Bill, why is Ben Shapiro so mad about this movie? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so to your normal question, should I go see it? The answer is yes. Okay. It's absolutely incredible. Um, and I, so I wrote in my review that it is a perfect movie and I had multiple people reach out to me. They were shocked by that. Um, uh, it's the first time they've seen me write that in a review. Um, uh, friend of the show, Derwin asked me if that makes it like the best movie ever. The fact that I said it was a perfect movie, which is a fair question, but I want to clarify for him and clarify here that does not make it the best of all time. It just means when I say something's a perfect movie, I mean it as within the, you know, construct of what it is setting out to accomplish. It does everything correctly. Like it's very rare for a movie to where every choice they make is the right one. But this movie is that movie. The casting, music, script, direction, like everything clicks together to accomplish what it wants to accomplish. Now, whether you like that thing that it accomplishes is, is up to you. I did. But as far as the execution of this movie, I found it to be perfect. And I think uh, it starts with the script. It's just a brilliant, brilliant script. that is genius level writing that is beyond what I would have anticipated for a quote unquote Barbie movie. Like clearly attention is paid. Care was paid. Uh, rewrites were done. Like, they just honed it. And, like, where the story goes is so fun, I don't want to, like, say too much, but it delivers on the laughs. I was hysterically funny. And then by the end, there's, like, a profound discussion of gender politics and, and things in the real world, and it it just it just hits. It hits. I, I absolutely, I loved it. I was astounded. Yeah, I don't even know... I, I, so I have no expectations. I think I understand like what this movie is going to be about. And I think it's going to be heavily stylized, really well Big written. Time. Um, what happens now? 
I know it's a weird question, but like it seems like this is making an impact on pop culture as we know it. Like this is one of those things where if you went in the future 20 years and it was like, what happened in 2023? And it was like the film Barbie came out and like this is all of this happened because of it. Like, what would it say? Uh, I don't. It's still too early to tell, I think. I mean, there's a zillion think pieces out there that you can read on every side of it. Um, I personally thought, uh, you know, I thought it was great. I aligned with it. I thought the messaging was great. Again, everyone's going to think a little bit differently about the message itself. Uh, but I thought it was fantastic. Uh, and I, again, I don't want to get super involved in it, A, because I don't want to dive into a political thing, but also because I want people to be able to see it for themselves and see the buildup to it versus me just saying the message of the movie. Like, just see it and see how it unfolds. Um, but there are a number of things that it that it touches on that I, I got emotional watching it, to be honest with you. I didn't expect to cry Whoa. at a Barbie movie, and yet here we are. Uh, I thought it was, I thought it was astounding. Um, and obviously Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling are helping drive that, that excitement and that train because they're bona fide movie stars and they both yeah. excel in this movie as you would expect. They just crush. And the whole cast really is amazing. Uh, but you need, to, you need to see it. What's the best part of the movie? Best part? I think I'd have to give it to Gosling's portrayal of Ken and, and how they write Ken in the Ken storyline. Is, is the biggest surprise. Margot Robbie as Barbie is obviously incredible. But she's also given a tougher role because the Barbie character is, um, is a little bit more of a, like the, the audience kind of projects onto it. So there's, it's a little, it's not quite as uh, in-depth as, as Gosling gets to do with Ken. And his comic timing and the sequences they give him, it's, it's just... And he gets a musical number, which is already making the rounds. That is, just blew me away. So I would say Gosling as Ken is the real highlight. Uh, did you hear the news or read in the news that Killian Murphy is open to playing a Ken in the sequel to Barbie? <laughs> I have heard that because these poor, poor actors are on all these press junkets, uh, you know, promoting these movies. Just and getting fired, and at. they're all being asked about the other movie, and I feel, and I've heard responses lately where Nolan and Killian have both been like given a little attitude <laughs> to, to, to the journalists because they're so sick of it. Uh, but yes, I did hear that. What's Margot Robbie's take on the ethical quandary of uh, dropping an atomic bomb on a? <laughs> well, that's the interesting thing. It doesn't seem to go that direction as much as it does the other. How to end an interview? But I think the thing that I think I saw was one of the journalists said to Christopher Nolan, like, "Oh, I have to ask you the obligatory question about." Barbie. And oh, he goes, wow. That's no, not obligatory. <laughs> <laughs> Very much a voluntary and uh, yeah. not necessary question. Definitely don't. All right. So we got to watch it. Yeah. It's a, it's a must see. It's a must see. Oppenheimer, you have to go. Like, you know me, I love watching movies at home. You have to watch Oppenheimer in a movie theater. I would say the same for Barbie, and I'll tell you why. Whoa. Comedy, comedy and horror are the only genres where I like to see movies with other humans. Otherwise, everybody can fuck off and let, leave me alone. But comedy and horror are working a full house. And when I saw Barbie with a full house, like it was so fun. And certain lines, especially the last line of the movie, just just murdered. Just so funny uh, that I recommend jumping on the train while everyone's going right now. You might as well get in there. Choo-choo. All aboard. 
Uh, all right, Bill. Uh, I don't know what's coming up next. What are you watching now? What are you going to be watching soon? What's for TV, on? for Netflix and Bill, I did start, I mentioned it last time, I did start the legacy sequel of the show Justified. Hulu has like a mini series called Justified City Primeval. Um, it's okay. It's good to see Timothy Oliphant wear the hat again, but I don't, I'm not particularly invested, to okay. be honest with you. Pass. And then because there was nothing on TV, I thought to myself, I would love a video game to sink my teeth into, like a really good video game. Bill, I had the <laughs> exact same idea. And so I looked, and there aren't any fucking video games out, AJ. And so I was having this discussion, and I wanted to have it with you briefly. Please. I was talking to another friend of the show, Zach, and he was saying, and I want your opinion, he was saying that as far as strong, big-budget games go, this is the worst console generation in history. Agree or disagree? Uh, hard agree. And maybe my childhood was different, but I always remember, like, big-budget games had two major seasons. Summer and winter, right? You get the, the Christmas Hanukkah gifts, and then they usually released a few before summer vacation because every kid was at home for summer and they wanted to play video games. I went on the Xbox store and I was like, what the fuck <laughs> is this? It's just barren wasteland. It is abysmal. So bad. And I was like, oh, you know what? The new Avengers game or the Avengers game from last year is on Game Pass. It's free. I'll download it. And then I'm like, who the fuck actually thought this was a good it's idea? It's bad. It's bad. Uh... You know, Craig? <laughs> Craig gets it. Guys, like I've been saying, all of it that's been happening in my life entertainment-wise is Red Sox baseball and YouTube. So yeah. this all tracks. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough out there. I am excited for Armored Core and Starfield. Those are only two games I'm excited for, but those are a ways out. So we just, just no games. Yeah, works, worst console generation uh, ever so far. Uh, speaking of video games, uh, there's going to be a movie you're going to be watching soon that is based off a video game. Yeah, I got early access tickets to see Gran Turismo. That movie actually looks kind of neat. The, Neil Blomkamp, good director, uh, generally speaking. And David Arbor, always entertaining. So I'm excited to see what happens with that. Uh, what else? Uh, right after we finish recording this, uh, I'm going to see a new horror movie called Talk to Me. Um, it's rated R, so that's that's a good sign for a horror movie because PG-13 horror movies are usually laughable. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, I think I mentioned before, I have a ticket for that. I have a ticket for The Meg 2. I have a ticket for The Last Voyage of the Demeter, which is the ship that brought Dracula over. Um, they're re-releasing Old Boy into theaters. Uh, uh, original or the remake? Not the Josh Brolin one, the, the original film okay they're remastering it and re-releasing it so i bought a ticket to see that it's been many years since i've seen it and then i also bought a ticket to see strays which is that dog movie that's probably gonna be terrible with will ferrell and jamie fox doing the voice of the dogs oh dude yeah it looks bad why why because i'm trying to get to a thousand reviews aj and i'm trying to get there quick so i've just been on a ticket purchase spree here good for you um what about you? Any plans? No. I'm going on vacation for two weeks, boys. I'll see you in two weeks, Bill. Have fun at the movies, Craig. Um, go Red Sox? Question mark. Go Sox. 
Thank you for listening to the Should I Go See It podcast. Please make sure to follow on Instagram at Should I Go See It. Thank you.